welcome to episode 14 of Performance Talks. On this episode, we welcome Josie Simmons, Academy Strength and Conditioning Coach at Worcester Warriors Rugby Club. Josie and I made contact a few months ago after I'd heard the incredible things she was doing with an internship project at Worcester, and we dive right into all things intern related here. We also touched on her experiences of navigating a male-dominated industry as a female strength coach and end up with a bit of chat about her PhD project, which is super interesting. As always, please take the time to like, rate and subscribe and follow us on social media. We're on Instagram at Performance Talks and on Twitter at Perform Talks. And now let's head over to the episode. Hi, yeah, my name is Josie Simmons. I'm a strength and conditioning coach at Worcester Warriors for the Academy. I did my undergrad at University of Worcester in Sport and Exercise Science, and I'm currently doing a PhD uh, research and strength and conditioning at Cardiff Metropolitan University. Nice. Another PhD person on the pod. We're pushing Simon that way. He's going to end up doing one eventually. I'm sure of it. Um, right. Good. Great to have you on. Like we've obviously chatted a little bit in the last few weeks um, for reasons that will become clear in a second when we start talking about it. But um, the first thing we do when we, we when we jump onto a podcast is we talk a little bit about mentors and who's influenced you or um you know been influential at whether it's university lecturers or people you've worked with and stuff in in the past so it's a kind of an opportunity for you to shout out to anybody there but i said i think it's great because this a lot of this episode is going to be about internships and role models and stuff so we'll start off with you and then we'll we'll go from there yeah cool uh, so when i first started into the world of strength conditioning coach um world uh, my kind of the first guy that I worked with as a sort of supervisor or mentor uh, was a guy called Liam Walsh who's now at Glasgow Warriors um, and he was great with me as a really really new person to that environment and sort of sitting down and and going over programs and just asking me why I was doing stuff and, and just if I could justify it you can leave it in if you can't justify it take it out and that was a really good reflection for me and something that I sort of taken through um, my career ongoing even though I sort of don't tend to have a, a lot of contact with Liam but um, I think that's a is an important one to point out and then uh, at the moment, typically my kind of the people like the bounce ideas off of or, or just generally chat things through would be my PhD supervisors. Uh, so Jeremy Moody and Joseph Forms at Cardiff Met, um, who are really great just to just chat with, to be honest. Um, and sometimes we spend a lot more time talking about general world nonsense than we do about the, the PhD itself. But uh, yeah, really good just to be able to rattle through some some stuff with those guys. Nice. I, I really I think that's kind of the key to. Um, mentorship it's meant it's meant to be a very informal learning style and I, I like the fact that it's you know the conversations can take a tangent and they're not you know it's not actually about sitting there with a notepad and writing down all these nuggets of wisdom it's just about over time building a relationship and like absorbing and learning some of the lessons that 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 person has learned so yeah, yeah I love that Thanks. yeah I think if you uh it, if you get the lines blurred between like a professional colleague and a friend that ends up being like the best kind of mentorship, doesn't it there? I really like that. So, um, also a couple of great names just dropped a couple of clangers there. A couple of really good, uh, good mentors. If, so, if you're talking about Jeremy, let's not inflate his ego anymore. Than he's <laughs> He's nice. I'm not going to tell him that I've mentioned him. Okay, good. Um, <laughs> Right, so let's get into it. Academy Strength and Conditioning Coach at Worcester Warriors. Um, and we first 
connected because you run the internship there um and you came you know over, over virtually over to the uni had a chat to some of our guys about the program that you run and we've had a lot of guests on um talking about their experiences as an intern and, and i'm really interested to hear your experiences as an intern as well but you have the second role now where you run the internships and it's such an interesting dynamic so um i guess kind of first of all what was your experience as an intern? Because I haven't ever done one. I've never done an internship. So I'd love to know kind of what your experiences were. Yeah, sure. Uh, so I, I came through like an internship programme at Worcester. Um, so it's it's first ever inception year, um, which kudos to uh, Liam actually at the time, Liam Walsh and Joe Green and James Wheeler who set it up. Um, and it was, I think it's fair to say at the time, it was kind of uh, designed to solve a geographical problem of like, widespread uh, academy boys all over different locations and, and how we could facilitate um, the sort of introduction of SNC at a much earlier stage through sort of pitch-based provision, um, as I said, over that sort of wide geographic catchment. Um, so the way it was originally designed was sort of getting students on board to essentially uh, get out into the field and, and deliver some, some on-field SNC uh, to those guys in their sort of regional centres, um, which is a really good way that we've kind of enhanced our, our LTAD pathway um, and just going from sort of a, a slightly younger age and introduction to foundation movement, foundational movements and, and building those patterns up from an early early onset um, as much as possible. But it also gave coaches the chance to, to get out and, and clock up some face-to-face -face hours of coaching and delivering sessions to, uh, you know, at, at that age, a fairly, fairly decent level of, of rugby player at sort of under 14 and under 15s. Um, so it was originally kind of built to, as I said, solve that problem and, and that therefore it meant that coaches who came into that programme were upskilled in what they needed to be able to deliver um, and how, how that was sort of going to operate and how that was going to be delivered through that season so that they could sort of crack on, go out into the, the big bad world of, of getting that delivery in and, and coaching done um, to facilitate that, that programme, if you like. Um, so I sort of came on board with that. I was chuffed to get onto it. Uh, it was sort of a really exciting opportunity for me as, as strength and conditioning was such a new thing to me at the time. So this was in my uh, third year of my undergrad, I think. Um, and I, I kind of was that annoying person who was probably there all the time. Like, okay, it was lucky to be local. So I was getting involved in like all the pre-season stuff and just in all the sessions. Um, and just trying to take it in and like help out a lot and just pick up on on bits and bits and pieces as, as I went along. Um, and I think that I was I was really lucky and that there was an opportunity like where I could sort of cross over and actually almost graduate from that internship programme into uh, delivering for the ACE College group, uh, which is now the DICE, uh, which we run out of Starport High School. But that was a really, really good opportunity for me because you had uh, the DICE programme or the ACE College programme is, for anybody who doesn't know what that that is like, is essentially we have like that runs in parallel to our academy group. Um, and that's kind of based across sixth form. So lower and upper sixth guys will have uh, a by and large controlled rugby programme that they are in, in amongst their school day. So they'll come out of, of school training um, and training sort of three or four times a week, dedicated full-time coaches um, with that. And then they get exposure to SNC um, within that as well. So sort of three sessions a week of, of guided structure um, too. So it was, it was a really good opportunity to get involved with a programme that you almost have like full control over. And for me as a really new person to SNC, it was a really good way to learn uh, and learn the ropes. And as I said, uh, Liam was really good in supervising that and sitting me down and just saying, look, here's your programme. I'm not that fussed about what you've put in it, but can you justify why it's in there? And really sort of unpicked that and then began to look at, if I was writing a programme, why was I writing a programme? And everything that was within it, if there was a reason for it to be in there um, and it served a purpose, fab. And if it wasn't, and if it was just kind of like added fluff, 
pointless to take it out and actually have have something that you've that's going to be impactful in there and you know why you put it in there. Uh, so that was a really good really good learning opportunity for me. Uh, so I took that through uh, until sort of the January time, and then was lucky enough to be offered the full time job uh, job um, as the academy S and coach after applying for that um, following on from the ACE role. So yeah, like I loved it and it was a really good experience for me. Um, and I think from being in around that sort of early early stage of that uh, the DPP internship, so with the the on pitch stuff, um, kind of then experiencing what that was like in its early days and, and into where it is now, and to how I've kind of developed it more as we've gone through progressively, um, particularly over like having a, an extensive period of like working from home and just being glued to a laptop over over the sort of lockdown periods, it's given me a really good opportunity to really like nail into it and get loads more work done on it, and, and the CPD curriculum is really something now that I feel like it stands on its own two feet as something that's really worth worthwhile um, and just creates added value for the, the students that we do take on board. So yeah, it's kind of come full circle if you like. Um, and it's something that it's probably one of my favorite parts of my job and it's something I'm really proud of now because like I see the effect that or the impact that it has on some of the guys that, that come through um, and like their ace, all the, all the people that we have come through the program are real decent guys um, and girls obviously. And uh, yeah, like this year's cohort that have, that have literally just graduated on Sunday have been have been the best cohort we've had so this year. And it's been real, really worthwhile uh, putting all that hard graft in just to see what they're getting out of it as well. So nice. Yeah. That's that's awesome. I I think like Steve um, alluded to, like I didn't do an internship. They weren't actually that prevalent when um, when I graduated, partly showing my age there um <laughs> me too but they definitely they you know from you know from my experience here living in north america like they're much more established um as a pathway here and I, it's really good to see them taking off in the uk um and being such an integral thing because it is such an important step is actually having some kind of guided learning in the actual practice of of coaching and delivery um but what what was it for you about either your experience as an intern or what you've put in place that has actually made it a lot more than just you know some internships where it's just like you know you're just filling up the water bottles and doing the uh you know doing the grunt work that no one else wants to do um i feel very much that like organizations have a responsibility if you're taking people on even if it is for a for a credit at university or for their course like you're getting some you know you're getting something sort of for, for free basically so you have a responsibility to try and give back something there's a lot of there's a lot of things that I want to talk about within that question yeah. and I think <laughs> through them I apologize so the first thing I want to pick up on is um obviously so that the internship that we run is is for like current students to get some hours um under their belt of, of getting involved in an applied environment while they're doing their courses um so some of them have got like placements that are placement modules that they have to kind of do for that and rack up some hours um, and others are just trying to the really driven ones motivated ones that are getting out and doing it off their own back and that's excellent and, and they're the people that you want involved because they're the people that are engaging with it and they're really sort of driven towards the outcome that they want to achieve and they know what what route they want to go down or even if they don't some will come into this environment into SSC and they might end up doing uh, physio or something completely not completely unrelated but that ties in really well and it's just a real useful experience but um for me it's I try and make it as valuable as I can so that those people who might have done a placement and they might have clocked off their hours and they're done carry on for the rest of the year because actually there's loads of value within that because ultimately the the whole 
point of that sort of DPP program is that it is designed to solve a problem for the club. Uh, you know, we want to start to implement SNC for those younger age groups at 14s, 15s, and we have that really wide catchment area and two members of staff, and we can't possibly get around all of that as academy SNC coaches. So it has to serve a purpose, um, but ultimately, yeah, as you said, it's it's actually giving back, um, and that's what I've kind of tried to add as much as I can is is that added value um, and I'm trying to make it a really worthwhile process or, or, or um, experience for the the mentees and for the students that come through that that um, internship itself is giving back to them as much as we can and there's so many opportunities for that added experience so it's not just here's the sessions you're going to deliver on pitch this is how we want you to do them this is what you need to know to be able to do them off you go it's it's more like actually so yeah, that's great. You're going to be doing this. But in the meantime, let's learn about coaching science. Let's learn about reflective practice, goal setting. Let's learn about loads of different aspects that they might not necessarily cover on their um, undergrad or their master's pathways. And that's been a really good challenge for me because it's meant I've had to really knuckle down into like the research behind it and, and put that together in a fairly sort of extensive CPD blocks. Um, and then we cover more in-depth stuff, you know, looking into the, the practical elements. So we go into Olympics, we go into speed stuff, um, we go recovery, like the loads of different areas where we try and just tick off as many boxes as we can. So it's a bit of a whirlwind and a whistle-stop tour through loads of things, but there are a lot of things that you don't get exposure to um, in particularly very kind of, maybe theory orientated um, master's programs or undergrad programs, particularly in things like sport and exercise science, where they might not necessarily unpack strength conditioning too much. Um, so there's loads of opportunities. And, and particularly, you know, I've mentioned this to you guys before, when when you're in a club environment or an elite sports environment, you're almost all that sort of it's not that the shine wears off, but you're used to being in that environment and you know what that looks like day to day. And you go in and you see X, Y and Z happening and all of the amazing facilities and all of the excellent programming and the staff that are there and what goes on behind closed doors in terms of that multidisciplinary environment. And to an outsider, you wouldn't have a clue what's going on. Like you don't know what that looks like until someone shows you what that looks like. And, and it's, it's what those opportunities we can provide behind those closed doors and get those guys involved and actually see what else goes on beyond the sessions that we need them to deliver. Does that make sense? Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. And I think um, what's so interesting, one of the points I want to pick up on is that idea of of applying what they're learning, taking students on. And, and obviously I come from the education background, so I'm sitting there trying to educate these students and, you know, bless them as, as much as they want to get involved some days some days they're glazed over hung over you know on, on their phone whatever it is and you're not <laughs> never <laughs> i am a consummate professional um <laughs> thanks for that um i think when they're in that setting it, it the application of what they've learned helps them for that knowledge to sink in does that make sense it's yes. kind of like it's so it's you 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 see someone standing in front of you talking about it or they've got a powerpoint slide and they're talking about it is completely different to being in a gym working with an athlete and when we're talking about even something simple like the impact of rest periods you know if we're talking about sets reps load and volume intensity and rest like when you go, okay, well, let's let's actually talk about this now. Try giving them 30 seconds rest when we're trying to get maximum strength out of them and see what happens. Mm -hmm. That application is is huge. I think it's really, really good. Um, I was just going to ask what 
this might come down the line a little bit, but in terms of the applicants, and and you said you've had a you know a cracking cohort. I saw the photo actually on on social media of of the uh, this year's applicants or graduates, I should call them, I guess. It's graduates, yeah. Yeah. Um, what is it that you look for when you're looking for people to come on the internship? Like a completely really broad range, um, and I think that one of our biggest issues that we see in the world of strength conditioning is that you need experience to get experience. Um, and that's always such a kind of conundrum. Um, and there's nothing more infuriating as, you know, like a, either a graduate or even somebody who's trying to clock up some of those, some of those experiences while they're doing their undergrads. Um, and it's kind of trying to give people a leg up. So as long as people to me are like show that they're driven and they're engaged and uh, doesn't matter what, what environment they've, they've put themselves in, but they've sort of got themselves out there a little bit and they, you know, they're kind of, they're driven beyond sitting in their lecture room um, or their study halls and, and doing the basics of their course. Um, so for me, that looks like somebody who might have just gone on and helped out at the, at the gym or at their local sports club, or it might have been somebody who's gone and done some, even some sort of like sports therapy hours, and they're trying to apply their practice um, in any sort of, even unstructured environment doesn't matter because, you know, we if you look up the dictionary definition of, of learning, we know that we have to study, we can be taught and we have to gain experience. And the experience is the primary thing where we can apply that learning and we can le- we learn from our mistakes. We can fail, we can really re- reevaluate it and trying to reintegrate that knowledge um, into our day-to-day practice so somebody who kind of recognizes that and has just put themselves out there and they're willing to try um, and be engaged uh, and that's the people we want to get on board because what we don't want to do is just sit and or I don't want to do is just like you said sit and lecture people and talk to them and talk at them for them to sort of take it in and be like yeah cool I did this internship but actually people who want I, I want people to feel safe in that environment so we have like a whatsapp group and we chat all the time and fire out questions and stuff and put people in an environment where they're not afraid to make mistakes and learn from them and ask stuff um and you know just yeah engage with the whole program and engage with the process really because as an as an early stage snc coach i was exactly the same like you have to if you're not applying it you can't learn um and that's a really it was one of the biggest ways i learned really in at the deep end um and as much as this isn't necessarily in as the deep end so much it's it's trying to immerse yourself in that environment as much as you possibly can really um, through a relatively flexible, like really low-key commitment, um, essentially. So, well, I think I think that's great. Like you said, um, yeah, you kind of end up getting thrown in at the deep end a lot because in this, like you said, in this industry, you're you're kind of sometimes you're either in it or you're not. So, like you're either you're either in there coaching, or you just don't have any opportunity to coach and you're not gaining experience. So having that position where you can be introduced at a level where it's okay if you make mistakes and you've got enough guidance to uh, to learn from that and working with like you said with some of the younger age groups like it's a huge benefit for for them as well as part of their long-term development uh, and growth into you know preparing them to actually come maybe full-time into the into the academy program it's it's an absolute win-win but it's a really nice stepping stone i think yeah absolutely and there's it's a no pressure environment so there's is a huge learning opportunity as i said make mistakes and, and learn from that um, and it it's not going to be the be all and end all if you get something wrong um at all and, and you've got a whole year through that process then to reflect on it and kind of step up your game a little bit and we try and have like assessment points where guys will be like mic'd up and videoed and we'll have a look at them coaching and just take like a 10 minute snippet of that and see how they how they deliver it what their interactions look like what do their demos look like and and try and pinpoint what areas we can improve on so that when we come back around to that assessment again in sort of three four months time 
doing that again and, and seeing that sort of progression. Um, we're not expecting, you know, I'm not looking for ready-made coaches. Like I, I really prefer to take on like rough diamonds who are really motivated to learn something and that I can try and help as much as I can. And we have, you know, we have master students, we have undergrads, we have people on their second year, people on their third year, um, such a range of people. Um, and uh, the people that I've had on this year who have been doing a, done two years on a master's in strength conditioning have learned just as much as somebody who's doing their second year in sport and exercise science. Um, and and it's, it's that applied nature that you don't necessarily get through sitting in your lecture halls and kind of listening to your um, lecturers rattling off their sort of slides and stuff, which gives you the base knowledge and then you can go and apply it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I agree 100%. You, there's, there's, no, there's no way as a lecturer I can get someone to feel the things that they feel when they're in that environment. You cannot do it. There, there's no kind of um, other alternative than that experience. They, they, you have to get out there. You have to do it. Like you say, you are probably going to fail. You're probably going to, well, 100% you're going to make mistakes. It's just like you say, if you're in a comfortable, supported uh, environment, that's a lot better than being in a pro team by yourself. And and so many coaches I've spoken to, and and like Simon said, it Simon and I are a similar age. There, an internship just didn't really exist when I was coming out. I did my MSc in 2011. And, it, and internships just weren't a thing. And also there was a bit of, I don't want to say ego, but it was kind of like, I've just, I've just finished my MSc. Like, why would I go and do an internship? Yeah. And, and, and I think it's brilliant. And, and I see, have, having been through that process of not having it, I see a huge value in it. I, and, I, and I think it's fantastic. I, I just, I definitely think it gets a bad name, gets a bad reputation of, you know, like we've said before, just not giving interns like value and credit and, and, yeah. and making them feel valued. It's just, I need water bottles filled up. I need to make sure that, you know, these ice packs are distributed off you go. Like you're doing them a disservice as much as anything else. So yeah, it's such a cool program, I think. Yeah, a hundred percent. And like, you know, that that's part of the motivation behind it, you know, is, is you, you want to make something that is beneficial for them, but also you don't want to be, you know, scrutinised for it either, because yeah, there's so much good stuff coming out, you know, all the UKSA's position stands on what internships should look like and voluntary placements. And you, you can take a lot of guidance from that if you're looking to set something up. But as long as you're giving back and, you, you know, it's a, it's truly valuable, and you're truly adding value to those uh, students or the your interns or whoever it is you're, you're taking on. That's what's important. Um, and that there's something that, that they can take from that process and that will impact them as a practitioner for the rest of their career is the intention, really. Yeah, for sure. I think it's it's one of those tricky things where there's no, you mentioned there some like the guidance on what an intern placement should be. Um, I was going to say it's it's one of those things that I guess historically has been a little bit like the Wild West. You you might end up in a placement where you actually gain quite a lot or you could end up in a placement where it is just filling up the water bottles and, you know, picking up all the dirty kit off the changing room floor. And that's not really adding any value. Um, it's really interesting that you guys are on kind of the opposite sides of this in that, Steve, you're obviously you know, lecturing at the university and then, Josie, you're with a club. Do you guys ever have any, like, interaction around what the... <laughs> that's how we know, met. <laughs> what, <laughs> but that, that's what I mean. It's like, is there any collaboration on, like, what the, you know, if someone's doing it as part of a university programme, 
what they should be getting from it. And then from a club's perspective, like, why are you guys not teaching this? Like, these are fundamental skills for the job and these are not being taught at the university. What's that relationship like? Yeah, absolutely. Like, um, the more I speak to people, like the better relationships you forge with those universities, the more kind of impact that you can have, or I suppose, the you know, you can have those conversations. Um, and I, I've, you know, been lucky enough to have a really good relationship still with the University of Worcester, which is where I did my undergrad. So coming through that process of doing the, the sort of placement module there and now taking on the students that are doing the, the placement module there, we've had some great conversations, particularly the last couple of months about how they can potentially look to make that better and how you can look to kind of solidify that learning process for students. Because sometimes, by and large, a, a placement module is more or less like go and do some experience, reflect on it a bit, get an A, excellent. Like, you, you know, it's, it's quite, um, I don't know, loose isn't the right word, <laughs> but you know what I mean? It's, it's ne not necessarily, uh, it's, it's really hard to structure it because every person's placement looks completely different. Um, and something I've suggested to them is, is is get the students to identify the key skills that they know that they're going to need to achieve within that environment. So if you're going into strength conditioning, if you're going into sports therapy, if you're going into um, PE and sports coaching, like what are the key skills you need to have as a coach or as somebody in that environment? And then how are you going to how are you going to try and learn those and how are you going to um, brush on up on those as you go through your placement? So identifying that sort of skills passport, if you like. And then working on that progressively through that placement. So you've got some really solid, hardcore stuff that you've identified. You've looked at the job, what it looks like, how are you going to go about that day to day job and all the things you need in terms of the skills. And then working on those and then reflecting on that as a as much more sort of solid, formalised structure, if you like. But it, yeah, it's it's really difficult to, to pin down. And every university has a really different way of doing it. Some universities don't run like a, a set placement module um, and others are just like the students who are trying to pick up some experience as they go. But starting to build those bridges with the universities and vice versa so what they might want us to do and what we can do for them and and how it might serve us better as a collaborative party if it's a placement um is definitely always worthwhile having those conversations and steve's been great you know we've spoken at, um with, with steve at ucb and a load of the other lecturers bcu um adam kelly and guys there and and having some really good conversations on, on and not just kind of getting into recruit but also yeah how, how we can start to build that process i think that um concept of like from your side of things reflecting that back on lecturers and saying well listen th these are what we see from the students these are the, sc the, the skills gaps and the knowledge gaps that they have and that's something for you to reflect on um i think that's really crucial and i think it is very challenging sometimes to hear and and i've i've had this conversation in a different um different sort of setup with a couple of different people where I, I always say like in in a lot of industries you you can get away with being pretty bad at your job because the person who evaluates you doesn't really know what your job is and doesn't okay, like, yeah. like <laughs> if you're if you're in um like in, in an SNC environment and you have a director of high performance, that's that's different, right? A director of high performance is going to know what an SNC does. Mm -hmm. But if you're head SNC and you report to a general manager, that general manager probably has no idea what you do. So yeah, therefore, yeah. you can go, I, I said this actually to somebody yesterday, I said, you can go in to, a, to an evaluation meeting, you know, at the end of the year and say words like kinesiology and they're like, oh shit, they know more than me. I don't know. I can't, crit you know, critique them. Yeah, that's ticking the box. Could you say in buzzwords? Done. Yeah. So I think, but, but but I think there are very few 
organizations or people within organizations who would be happy to expose themselves and say find find another expert in that industry and say come in and evaluate my program i i would love to do that if i get back into high performance somewhere that will be one of the things i i do straight away is find a link with another organization somewhere that can come in and just reflect on our practice and, and give me you know things to work on and i think it's a it's a great thought for the for the uni and, and i and i run a work-based learning module at ucb and to hear those kinds of things of listen these are what students are lacking when they come out with it might you know hurt my feelings a little bit and and but i'm happy to do that to learn and, and improve the provision at the end of the day so i think it's it's a really cool link to start to establish yeah i think i think it takes a lot of uh maturity there though steve to to kind of <laughs> accept i'm normally associated <laughs> simon's <laughs> like, literally just like shot you up there and he said you're not to actually accept those kind of lessons from outside right because we um at fortius last year i introduced a new self-evaluation program and some of the staff were fully on board and really well engaged and, and loved it and were very, you know, some of them were overly self-critical um, and some of them were very kind of nervous and actually afraid of even critiquing themselves and then having me review that. And the idea that having an external party coming in and doing that, I think um, you have to be pretty confident in what you're doing and conf you know confident enough to know that you're going to learn some good lessons that will be useful i think so yeah. I'll, I'll be amazed if anyone actually does that i'm <laughs> telling you get me back into high performance and that's the first thing i'm doing but anyway um i have a i have a question on that sort of note have you josie had and you'd obviously please don't name names, but have you had people come on who you've really struggled to work with because they just think I'm the, I'm the finished article. I, I have students like it. So, or I have had students like it. No, I don't think I have. Um, to be fair. Um, I think you can tell a lot about somebody by the way they write their application. Um, because I don't expect somebody who's doing an undergrad or even a master's to come with a CV or a cover letter that says they're a finished article. Um, so potentially I'm just not bad at picking the people that we that we bring on board, I don't know, but um, a lot of people have come from having already clocked up loads of experience and they've probably been in environments where they've delivered SNC or they've, you know, kind of um, set up a little bit of a programme at, at clubs or, or things like that. And that's awesome. Um, but for me, like I personally think you learn so much from other people, from other practitioners and, and you just being around other people. So like the vendor staff that um, at Warriors and any any environment where you you just learn so much from hearing how people deliver things and reflecting on what, what they're doing as well. Um, and it just puts you in a different environment and actually having somebody that you can like bounce off ideas off and, and soundboard with is, is really valuable. Um, so I don't think anybody's sort of ever come in and and almost been above it. Um, you know we've always, we've had problems with people coming in and not engaging with it and that's probably more a reflection on them than it on than it is on us um, particularly over the last year or so where it's kind of developed and everybody is like really bought into it and, and loved the process and got loads out of it um 
And that's kind of just a reflection on how much it's progressed over the last two or three years as, as an internship programme itself. Um, and I try and put people at ease as much as possible and try and like make it quite personable and engaging and, you know, a, a lot of laughs and a lot of good memories with it as well, um, rather than just kind of a, a formalised process. So um, to touch wood, no one who's, yeah, who's come in and sort of thought they're above it so far, which is good. I was always like, with the first year that we started taking on master students, I was a little bit apprehensive. I was like, oh, what if they know more than me? Like, can I teach them anything? <laughs> um, but actually, they've been like, give me your knowledge. Like, this is great. I've learned so much. And, and that's really good. Uh, really good to hear as well. That's so. awesome. Yeah, that's yeah. good. I, I I would hope that the, uh, the master students have learned more. You, you hit that point where you, you learn what you don't know. Does that make sense? Like Dunning-Kruger yeah. graph. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I definitely yeah. think like the, the bachelor students, I think, are more likely to be the ones that are like, oh, this is great. I'm done. And then and then the <laughs> master students just go more in depth and realize, actually, there's so much further you can go with this. Yeah, definitely. And it's yeah. taking it beyond that sort of the theory content and then what you've learned in your lecture yeah. as well. And then going and putting it in practice is definitely harder. And, and a lot of people... It, like it doesn't matter how much you know if you don't have the communication skills and the possibility to put that across and build relationships with a group or an individual if you're working with individual athletes and you're probably going to find things real difficult it, yeah. it's so crucial isn't it seeing what other people do and and we experienced that a lot in china you know we were lucky to be in that huge national sports training center where you'd have six or seven different national teams training all at the same time with their coaches and you could just walk around the room and see what people are doing how they're communicating what warm-ups are being done like and and everyone says like the best snc coaches are the best thieves right and we just steal stuff <laughs> from other people but it's true and but even to the point of how you know what does effective communication with a coach look like there's there's no way i can put you you know, in a classroom environment where you have to present to a coach under pressure when that coach has, you know, a big reputation or they're famous in the game and you're there like, I have to deliver some bad news to this guy. You can't replicate that. So, but, but what's nice is if you can sit back in the background and watch somebody else have to do it and Definitely. be like, oh, okay, I like the way that they did that. You know, do, do you want to, uh, Steve? It's really interesting that you you mentioned that. It's actually something that I've put into the program this year. Um, while I like early on in I think the first lockdown, I spoke to um, a lady called Marianne Pike at Springfield University, and as you said at the beginning, Simon, like internships grad assistant programs in the usa are so well established um, and it's a very very formal entry route you do your um you do your qualifications you do your college and then you go into those formalized and, and really set routes and they've got some really great ideas and it's really worth um if you're looking to set something up um talking to some people um in those sorts of environments because they they know a lot and um, you know they've gone through it time and time again they've got some really well established programs and that's something that I've put into it this year where um, so although everyone who comes on board will do uh, something called a, an ITP or an individual topic presentation. And essentially what that looks like is they've got 10 minutes. They can present on absolutely anything. It's got to be something they haven't done at university in terms of something they've studied. And it's got to be something that they are trying to essentially promote to a coach. Um, so some sort of intervention, some sort of strategy that they've learned about. They think it's really cool or a new technique that they would potentially want to implement as an SNC coach. 10 minutes go. So they present it to sort of the group. Um, so it just puts them in a different environment where 
they're not necessarily doing their uh, sort of end of module presentation on a, for an assignment um, and they're sort of presenting it to each other. And yes, I'm not a coach in that environment, uh, but it gives them a sort of that sort of first world experience of trying to sell something and trying to like how you go about communicating that um, beyond just like this is the evidence, this study, this study, this this person et al and these significant findings, because that's that's relatively meaningless to to a coach who just wants to know, is it going to make the athlete better? Yes or no. If it is, how are we going to do it? How, what's it going to cost me? You know, so it, yeah. it puts that a bit of a different spin on something. Uh, so that's been a really interesting um, learning curve this year and seeing how that's looked um, and, and what some of the topics that people have come back with. It's been great. We've had some great ones. We've had uh, one of the first ones, uh, one of the guys did parkour. One of the guys um, did neck strengthening. We had one girl do a load of stuff on concussion. We've done some psychological stuff um, and dealing with adversity, like loads of really creative topics that they've just come off. Um, sort of brought in just straight off the bat and just gone here's my presentation 10 minutes what does it look like um, and some really good like in internal group environment learning from it as well yeah, yeah. I, I think that's I think that's really key skill actually and um, it's something that I included in the um, hiring process um, at Fortius was actually ha having to give a presentation and give a very sort of like I said, 10 minutes, it's got to be concise. And I want the, you know, and I wanted those, uh, that sort of benefits analysis piece at the end as part of the summary yeah, yeah, and course. not an academic summary. Yes, because as which I, is what we habitually do for our, for our studies, isn't it? 100%. Absolutely. Yeah. I was like, look, if you work in a, in a facility like this with, you know, you've got a huge range of physios and practitioners, but you've got to basically wherever you work, you're going to have to sell this idea to upper management and people that are going to actually have to pay for it and, and implement it or who are going to have to buy into it and believe in it. Yeah. And I, either one of those is like you say, is kind of like selling it to them. So you need to be able to do that. So I think it's really, it's a really good opportunity to teach that skill. Yeah. It's a very different skill and it's not something you're, you're yeah. typically exposed to tell me the science behind it. Tell me all the literature and the research that's there, but actually in layman's terms, can you put that across? Can you talk yeah. not science to somebody? Can you tell them, all the great benefits of infrared technology. Well, if you can't, yeah. then <laughs> I, chances are you're not going to get it. Yeah, that that's honestly, uh, I think one of the most important skills you can possibly learn. I've um, I've really struggled sometimes when I've worked with people who kind of almost they feel like speaking in layman's terms is beneath them. And you're like, mm -hmm. but that that's you're totally missing the point. If you can't explain it. And I always think of it like, can you explain it to a child? If yeah. you can explain this concept in like simple enough terms that literally anyone could understand it, then you know it well enough. Yes. And that's when I can see that you can understand it. Yeah. Trying, yeah, trying to sell GPS products to a 65 year old head coach who literally like cannot turn his iPhone on. That <laughs> you really have to. Uh, and, and not from experience. Doesn't say not. I I I had a head coach who was absolutely amazing with GPS and wanted to learn everything about it, and it was a, a super cool experience. But it's that idea, isn't it? Of you're right. Can you explain it to a kid, or can you explain it to your grandparents and make it make sense? We've all gone and got undergrads. We've all gone and got master's degrees. We can talk about the science behind VBTs and why you should spend 25 grand on gym awares. But unless you can actually sell that, you're, you're never going to get it across. One other thing I was going to ask, on that same sort of note, do you do much in the sort of CPD stuff about data presentation? 
and and how to present data and stuff to coaches? Uh, so we do like a, a testing and screening factory. So they'll kind of get used to take that, doing the analysis and, and doing the, the running the tests on the, the athletes. So it helps us out. So we get some extra bodies on, on rattling through eight kids or whatever. Um, but as one of their sort of like the practice points of that, they'll do the testing on each other, uh, take that data, take that raw data and then give it one, one of the their counterparts like a needs analysis. Um, so take them at face value. Who are they? What do they do? What's their sport or what sort of environment are they? What does a typical needs analysis of that sport look like? Where do they sit in comparison? And can you present that data to them? Um, and also talk about how to relay that information to them. So we'll sit them down and it'll just be a bit of a test like, cool, this is your athlete. You've looked at their, their information. Go give them the feedback, see how they sort of um, put that across. Um, and actually a lot of them will be like, oh, your Z score was this, this was this, you know, you need to get better on this. But actually, hang on a minute. No, no, that's your athlete. Think about it again. Take a step back. How are you going to tell them? How are you going to actually communicate that to that athlete? Um, so we, we talk about that and unpick sort of the delivery of it, not just the kind of desert data presentation, because realistically, again, you can make something look spectacular on Excel. And I'm relatively bang average on Excel, as it happens. Um, and, you know, we're very fortunate at, at Worcester to have some exceptional sports scientists who are very good at making everything very pretty. Um, Harry Sharman is exceptional at that. Sam Juden's really good at it. And, and bless him, like please take that off me and make it look pretty because my graph will be incredibly average in comparison. But if I need to relay that to an athlete and talk to an athlete, particularly in this environment, my environment where you've got under 18s, for example, who are um, really banking on, they were aspiring to be a professional rugby player. Um, and you have to communicate something to them that, that might crush their hopes and dreams a little bit because they might not be able to scratch on some of their performance markers. So how do you relay that information is just as important to me as being able to present that information on something that looks like a really jazzy radar plot. Yeah. That's Oh, don't even get me started on radars. Um, <laughs> I, I think that's so crucial, isn't it? Like you can take a, a real binary, your one standard deviation below the mean, and that means your cool. shit. Tell but, me that with some soft skills involved. Exactly. Yeah, like, like you said, you've got a 17 year old kid who is desperate to become a professional athlete and you have no approach and you just crush them there and then like, yeah, really, really cool um, approach to, to combining those skills. I think it's really interesting. Mm. Yeah. And even on the, even on the sort of the, as we speak about a minute ago, just going back to the sort of um, selling an idea, you, you've also got a lot, oftentimes the flip side and actually you've got to try and stop somebody from doing something because they've always done it. Um, and, and a lot of these guys will go on to um, introductory roles or they'll go and put themselves in an environment where they're offering their services as a strength conditioning coach to a club that might not have exposure to strength conditioning before. So they're going to chuck themselves in the deep end and go and help out um, at a club and essentially like create a, put themselves a paid role in that environment. And that's great. And that's incredibly resourceful. They're probably going to come up against a coach that's done something like we said, this 65 year old and you might have done it the same way for 45 of those 65 years. So mm -hmm. how are you going to convince them otherwise? And that actually you might be dead set on that, but is there any benefit in it for you? And I'm looking at why I'm trying to uh, change that and actually you have to be so persuasive as a strength conditioning coach. The whole thing is about buy-in and, and engagement to what you are selling as a strength conditioning practitioner. Um, and, and that's to the athletes and to the people, the, the coaching staff, the technical staff that you're working with as well. And that goes one of two ways. It's either getting something on board with someone with something or trying to get them off board with something that's maybe causing more harm than good. Yeah. I think, I think on that note as well, it's also crucial, certainly in my opinion, to point out that, there's, 
there's as many ways to do things as not to not do things and it and like you said if you're absolutely dead set on doing it you know way a and you come up ahead against a head coach who doesn't like way a if you have nothing else to go to you're going to lose. You're never going to beat a head coach in terms of what you want to happen in your program when you're an SNC coach. So yeah, and especially if, as like junior SNC coaches, just getting into that those environments. Definitely. Yeah, absolutely. If you if you can't be flexible, you're never going to succeed. But it's again like, can you sell it? It's not necessarily black and white. It's this grey idea, and it's like, okay, so well maybe I can pivot around and do this instead. I still get what I want, but now it looks like you're getting what you want and that navigation can be such a, a hard skill for people to pick up. Yeah, and like one of the most poignant chapters of any book that anyone will ever read as a new coach is How to Support a Champion by Steve Ingham. And one of the first chapters in that is him going into that sports science environment and be like, you need to do this. And then we'll be like, whoa, mate, like we have won a few gold medals. We don't need you coming in here telling us what we need to do. Um, so there's, <laughs> there's definitely both sides of the spectrum there. And it all comes down to, yeah, having a bit of self-awareness um, really and then knowing what you know, what you don't know, um, and what we're not aware of. Um, and that's, again, something that we cover in, in the CPD is kind of that self-awareness, that self-reflection, um, and how you come across to other people, particularly if you're going all guns blazing and like, I'm an S&C coach now, I've done my master's, listen to me, here's the science, because it doesn't always win. <laughs> Sorry. See, Sorry. Really I, th I, th I think we're both laughing because we're like, doesn't always win. Uh, ne never wins, really. I think is. Come and do a masters at my university. <laughs> uh, but, well, I think as well, Simon and I can laugh because we have seen that with several members of staff who came to work in China and, and just could not cope, could not get past the fact of. They, I, you know, this this typical, the thing we heard so much was, but I'm an expert. They've brought me here because I'm an expert. And you've gone into a team where they've won a hundred Olympic medals. Who do you really think the expert is here? Like, you just need to wind your neck in a little bit. Ultimately, that, what matters is the sport and their performance. And anything we're doing is yep. just maybe a bit of added value, maybe helping them out a little bit. Yep. No, it's no good. Yeah, sure. I think it's um, it's really important for coaches to try and learn that as early on as possible. That like we're very much in a support role in anything we're doing, and you're you know you're in a position to support those athletes in that small period that you're with them, and ultimately we you know you know we might be the icing on the cake rather than the cherry on top. You know there are there are some other things that are you know potentially smaller and i know it depends on the sport as well but like we're not the whole cake no you know? not at all probably like the flower at a push but yeah, yeah ultimately it's, it's keeping those guys on the field being able to compete and, and making them resilient robust yeah. and, and supporting them as best we can with that side of it um, and leaving yeah. the technical stuff to the guys who know what they're doing yeah for sure um i just wanted to, i just want to change topics slightly and we'll, we'll kind of keep talking a little bit about the the internship a bit but one of the other things we did want to talk about is um kind of your your experience in the in the industry working with the academy as a female coach working in a male dominated sport um one kind of what that's been like but also what was that like for you going into the into the internship when you applied to do the internship at Worcester what was you know what was that experience like and how have you perhaps changed that to make it more open and, and accepting if it, if it wasn't initially 
Do you know, it's, it's actually really interesting because I've really thought about that uh, process. But when when the internship was first advertised to uh, to us at the university, I, I was like, I really want to do that. Like, you know, I love rugby. I've played rugby forever. You know, I played at Worcester at the time um, and it was something that I really wanted to get involved in. But I genuinely didn't think I was qualified to do it. You know, and, and at the time it was just a student internship. So I, I didn't know anything about SNC beyond the, the experience I've had in the gym as a, as a rugby player myself. And and it was kind of that assumption of like, oh, it's, you know, I, I don't I don't know if I'm actually the right person to apply for that. And and it was that that's a hesitancy that I've never really unpacked and actually putting it down to it. The, the more I speak to female S&C coaches and that, we've got, we've got a great group chat that's going of loads of female S&C coaches. And if, if you don't know us, we are there. We do exist. There's quite a few of us. <laughs> um, and there's some exceptional practitioners in that group and some some really, really good people who I really look up to. Um, and they've got loads of knowledge on all things and then they're really great to to help unpack some stuff if you're not sure on things and they're always willing to, to reach out a hand but actually a lot of people always kind of said it's that assumption that uh, maybe because I'm like a female in that environment maybe I'm I'm not there or maybe I'm not good enough and we see a lot of, of things where at the moment there's a big kind of drive to support um, or bridge that gap of female practitioners and strength and conditioning coaching and Speedworks um, with Jonas is doing some great stuff of supporting um, female athlete, uh, female inter, um, practitioners getting on his internship. Uh, Les Feldman is doing a female only internship. Altus is doing some great stuff with um, female practitioner mentorship as well and it's all trying to bridge that gap and it's all in aid of you know a lot of stats that will come out where we spoke about this earlier where you know we might have a hundred applications for a job and maybe three or four of them are from female um, applications and and it's not that female practitioners and SNC coaches aren't out there because they are out there but there's some kind of hesitancy of you know am I good enough to apply for that or I'm going to hold back because I don't think that I am and it is a very very male dominated industry 100% and you know strength and conditioning and and, and elite sport generally in in an environment like rugby is very male dominated it's all being about very physical very strong uh, very testosterone fueled (laughs) generally um, and hit each other really hard very physical environment and then for me in rugby, I've never personally had any negative experiences um, as a female SNC coach. And I think a lot of that is sort of attributed to or it comes down to you know, I've played the sport for so long that, you know, I've got a fair amount of knowledge and, and experience playing the sport as well. So I can talk rugby with the guys and I can and I can sort of put that detail into into the programmes and I can relate to all the stuff that are doing on field because I know what that is like being in that situation. I've been at the bottom of the ruck. I've thank God never been in a scrum, but I've done everything else. You know, so. <laughs> You, you can kind of um, build a lot, or you can gain a lot of respect um, and um, particularly from like academy players and, and young athletes because they love rugby and all they want to talk about is rugby. So when you can talk rugby with them, happy days. When you've both watched the like Quinn's game or whatever at the weekend, uh, it's just a little bit of a, you know, something else that you can build that relationship with. But in terms of that initial application, yeah, I, I, I completely hesitated about it. Uh, and I did when, you know, I was encouraged to apply for the full-time role when I, and when I got it. And I was like, no way, like, this is well above my um, station. Like, I don't know enough, you know. And it's that real sort of hesitancy and, and almost self-depreciation. And I've never really thought about it until we've actually unpacked it now. Mm. So it's a great place to unpack it on a podcast. But yeah. <laughs> yeah, um, you're welcome. <laughs> I, think, I think it almost is kind of like just, yeah, like a societal, it's something that's drilled into a little bit. But I just threw myself in the deep end a little bit and I'm really glad that I did. Um, that's something that definitely encouraged any kind of young or aspiring female SNC coaches like, we're out here we exist if you want to talk to us come and talk to us like we're actually really open people um and as i said all the all the female snc coaches that i know we've got like there's a little army of us and we're all more than willing to to chat shop and to give you guys advice as well but um i mean it's 
yeah, it's changing. It's definitely getting better uh, for the internships that, that we run. Like last year, we had uh, sort of like 30, 40 applications and, and a good sort of like, I don't know, 45% of them came from female applications. Um, and that was astounding. Never seen that before. And, yeah. and the pre all previous years, there was, there was three in the first year of the cohort, didn't have any applications for the second year until I dragged a, somebody in who I kind of bumped into at the club. And I was like, do you want to do an internship? Um, and then... And then this year, like the last previous year just gone, we've had three on it. This year, we've got another three or four in, in the mix as well. So there's like, I'll always try and take on some female um, coaches into that internship as well. And it's not because they're there to be a token gesture because they're female coaches, uh, but actually their applications are good. And, you know, the way they sell themselves is good. And the way they do their um, the, like video coaching for their application is good. Like, don't knock yourself, give yourself, you know, pat on the back and, and try and boost that confidence to go out there into the big bad world and, and contest with all the blokes in the environment because actually you're just as good you're just as able you know just as much you've gone through all the same pathways all the same programs um and you've got to then throw yourself in the deep end a little bit but yeah i guess that's my kind of yeah. <laughs> i mean that's that's great i i think it's great to hear that the the number of applicants has kind of increased year on year um i've been kind of on a on a different end of it in terms of like hiring and recruitment and always found that the number of female applicants is just so so low mm. um and like you say not you know it's really difficult to hire people if they're not applying for something absolutely right? yeah, yeah um so how can how can people like in say in my position recruiting kind of encourage more female coaches to apply for things in the first place because like you said maybe maybe you felt like you you had an opportunity to go into rugby because you played rugby but perhaps you you know if you didn't play rugby that would have been a, a barrier whereas I don't think a lot of guys would have you know seen that as a barrier no potentially not and, and even if they haven't played rugby like probably 50% of the population play rugby at school they could probably talk rugby and they could probably get by on it um, and the other 50% who play football are blokes and therefore could probably just waltz into an environment full of confidence anyway so win-win for that um so yes. in terms of like how you can how you can support you know getting female athlete, uh, applicants to apply for stuff I, I just don't know the answer because short of saying it's a female only role or whatever you, you can't make the applications appear like you said yeah. you can't you can't recruit if the applications aren't there but for me I think um as a as a female SSC coach or the only things that I can do is is kind of sounds ridiculous to say it but like kind of be somebody who's in that sort of in that role that people can kind of look up to or talk to even if you just talk to and reach out and talk to me about how they get involved in stuff and and try and pick up some experience because like I don't think I've until kind of like the last couple of years where I've kind of reached out and with like connections have grown through um through um lockdowns and stuff like I've hardly ever known any female SSC coaches maybe two or three that I've sort of stumbled across um in different environments in different CPD and it's such a male dominated environment but we are out there um and I think uh, you know I've spoken to Steve and he mentioned earlier that um you know a couple of people would be like oh I didn't even know that female SNC coaches were a thing and you know that's great maybe I'll go and do that but we just need to make sure that people don't feel forced out of the environment um because it is definitely it can be harder and you, you do have to have a certain amount of a hardened personality not hardened personality but you know a bit of a, a tough skin and a and a rough exterior to kind of you know brush shoulders with blokes in a man's in, in, a, in a male dominated environment but you just got to hold your head up and know that what you're doing is good um, and keep on peddling, really. 
I think it's just doing things like this hopefully can raise a bit more awareness. You know, when yeah. when Simon and I had the project in China, we had 50 S&C coaches. One was female. We advertised for job roles. And I, I couldn't tell you how many applications we had, but it was hundreds. One was a female mm-hmm. who I interviewed and offered a job because she was an incredible candidate. And she turned us down. But, you know, I'm not sour about that one a little bit. Um, but, you know, I think you're right. It's, it, there, there just seems to be, I, I think it's probably social, it's probably historical, it's probably the fact that male sports get funded a lot more than female sports. So, therefore, mm-hmm. the support programs have more opportunity, they have more roles, and it's, you know, those kind of opportunities have always been there or are in much greater demand in male dominated sport or in male sports. So then females, like you say, look at that and think, well, I can't go into a male sport. But like I said, I, this is one of the reasons I wanted to get you on because I think it's a, an inspirational story for female mm-hmm. SNCs out there. To, and I say the, the, we, we have another girl lined up to come on as well, who works in male football. And again, like such a great inspirational story for female snc students out there to to listen to this and go well actually no this is a viable career for me it doesn't matter that i'm female it doesn't matter if i want to work in male sports let's just go and do it absolutely not it shouldn't it shouldn't be one or the other and it shouldn't be based on anything it should be if if snc is what you want to do and you work hard and you get the knowledge behind it go and do it um and and that shouldn't have any bearing on on the opportunities that, that you come across yeah well um what one thing that interests me and I, and I wonder if you felt this uh, uh, when you were doing like your undergrad and the pathway you chose. What is it about sports medicine and physiotherapy that doesn't seem to have that problem? Because, you know, I, I've seen no shortage of female physios, and female sports medicine practitioners. You know, o- often there's a, you know, there's a huge gray area and we're often in the gym doing the same thing. So what is it, do you think, about S&C that has been you know so different um i, I can't it's difficult because i don't want to put words in other people's mouth because i haven't been down the route of the sort of physio and the, and the sports therapy route um and i don't think that a male or a female um, physiotherapist is is worth any more salt than the other um and i know a lot of exceptional physios and sports therapists on both camps and the same for snc coaches really but I mean, from my perspective as an SNC coach, I've often or occasionally been labelled as oh, too soft, or I'm being too soft with them, uh, with the with the boys. And actually, that's just about managing their load and making sure that they're not getting absolutely beaten up and, um, you know, doing too much too soon or whatever it is. And and actually, maybe sometimes that sort of uh, more maternal kind of looking out for somebody is kind of what's attributed to you being soft with 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 players or with athletes. Um, and I don't know, maybe that's kind of just the more, you know, that sort of soft skill side and the and the personability and the sort of uh, bedside manner, maybe that it sort of typically leads as a more appropriate pathway. Maybe it's that historical sort of um, mis- oh, preconceptions, I suppose, if you like, of one route versus mm. the other, whereas SNC is very physical and it's lifting weights and, you know, doing heavy stuff and being an persuasion <laughs> for teenagers or, you know, players yeah. or athletes or whatever and it's not necessarily an attractive role to go into um but actually it's dead fun 
and having some really <laughs> good crack with um with team sport athletes or with individual athletes is uh it's great and as long as you love your job it doesn't matter what you're doing whether that's whether you want to go down the physio or if you want to go down the strength conditioning route actually they cross over really well um and i've worked with some exceptional physiotherapists and some exceptional uh, exceptional sports therapists some exceptional um strength conditioning coaches on on both sides nice Sorry, I was just, that was perfect podcasting then. I was just talking and realized I was on mute. So, you know, <laughs> it's only the 14th episode that we've done. Um, I just wanted to pick up just before we, we round out. You mentioned your PhD at the start. I don't know anything about it though. What are you doing your PhD in and how's it going? Uh, super new. Um, started in September and obviously doing sort of part-time alongside work so definitely keeps me busy um, at this, this stage not a huge amount of like work to show for it um, but you get into the stage where you've like hashed it out and you've back and forth so much where you start to um, really hone in on, on what that project looks like but um, I'm looking at um, female athletes and the relationship between the menstrual cycle and injury or injury risk um, potentially is essentially what, what I'm, I'm hoping to look into um, and obviously it's that's a really growing area at the moment and loads of really good research coming out. Um, but it's a it's an area that we need more research than but it's more real good quality gold standard research to come out. And um, yeah, so uh, I'm looking at doing that with um, female rugby players. Um, so something that I'm, you know, fairly uh, well versed with, I suppose, um, in that respect. But uh, trying to unpack a little bit more about how that menstrual cycle might affect not just our sort of our um, perceptions of how we're feeling and, and our impact on performance and training, but also is there any sort of underpinning factors that, that we need to be aware of and, and where those injury risks from an epidemiological standpoint uh, might heighten or decrease across um, the menstrual cycle as well. And, and essentially long term, looking to see if there's anything we can do to help that really. Nice. Yeah, like you say, a, a huge area of interest at the minute loads and loads of research coming out i was going to ask actually what sports are interesting like particularly in rugby i've i've sort of read a few bits around it mostly in football so it would be interesting to see how that dynamic changes when it comes to rugby so good luck with that um, I, yeah i'm i don't even know i'm about a year and a half into mine so yeah good good luck with the journey it's a lot of fun it's going to be great. I'm really looking forward to it. And I'm, uh, it's, it's something, it's like an area that I'm really motivated to, to unpack. And I'm going to have to be really motivated because it's going to take me the best part of a century to complete. So, <laughs> no, I, I think it's a, I think it's a great topic. And like you said, massively under-researched area. Um, like I remember when I was with figure skating and talking about menstrual cycles, just from a health perspective particularly dealing with young girls in an artistic sport it was you know it's like obviously a key marker for health and like trying to find research on menstrual cycles in sport is really hard there's just not enough information out there so you know i you know great on you for uh for doing some work and actually adding to that knowledge oh it's, it's definitely picking up and there's there's some absolutely phenomenal researchers who are really dedicated to that area and who are, who are really doing some massive things and sort of stand starting to standardize the process um really and and uh, hopefully it's all going to start picking up and and do some really good stuff and aiming to support female athletes so that we actually know a little bit more about them really awesome um talking of supporting uh female athletes and you've mentioned a bunch of times about 
supporting female SNCs and, and all SNCs. If people want to reach out, talk to you, chat to you, get on some of these WhatsApp groups, how can people get in contact with you and, and give you a shout? Um, I'm on Twitter. I'm on LinkedIn. I'm on Instagram. Instagram, I don't really do uh, like as an SNC vibe. It's just. It's the best way to be. Got to have something that's not, haven't you? Otherwise, it drives you nuts. But uh, yeah, definitely reach out on LinkedIn or Twitter. It's probably the two best places to get me. Uh, Twitter, my Twitter handle is at jsimmons014, or 014, I should say. Um, and then LinkedIn, I'm just down as Josie Simmons, and you'll find me with a big old picture of my face grinning at you. <laughs> that's the best. I do, I do hate it when people put like a cat picture as their profile. And... <laughs> Who does that? On LinkedIn? Oh, doing LinkedIn wrong. On, uh, so, the, so the Chinese have uh, an app that's a bit like WhatsApp, but it's called WeChat. And and it is so common. Nobody has their own picture on it. It's always a random cat or like the Eiffel Tower or just like anything. Just, yeah, no idea who anyone is. Oh, maybe uh, that's where I'm going wrong then, hey? Yeah, must be. <laughs> Listen, Josie, awesome to chat to you again. Thanks for coming on. A really, really good, good chat and, and hopefully really inspirational chat to some people listening out there. Yeah, maybe. Hopefully. Yeah. <laughs> thanks, thanks so much for having me. And uh, yeah, it's, it's been a pleasure. No worries. It's a- absolutely great. I um, I love what you're doing with the um, with the internship program and, and your PhD and would love to hear more about that in the future as well. So yeah, keep, keep up the good work and it was great to chat with you. Magic. Thanks, guys. Cheers, Josie. Thanks.